Jackson Elias, an occasional podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. I'm Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dorwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. Okay, and this week we are talking about the third of our non-Lovecraftian horror role-playing games. Yay! Yay. You did it. You you got the hang of it just in time for us to stop talking about them. (laughs) We'll have to do more. (laughs) Yeah, what, what should have been a one session turned into three. Yeah, well, so this week... It's my choice, and I've chosen Monster Hearts, the game from 2012 by Joe McDaldno. Is that how you say it? I have no idea. Okay, we'll call him Joe. Okay. Um, uh, although Joe is now calling himself Avery, and um, I'm not quite sure uh, what gender identification goes with that, Um but I've mean, just picking this up from Google Plus over the last couple of weeks. You can't believe everything you read on the internet, Scott. Well, we're probably not going to talk about Joe or Avery very much. So, okay, because uh, that's that's the limit of my knowledge right but, there. But it's, it's I know certainly nothing. It's certainly published under the name Joe. It is. That's the name on the cover, and that's yeah. the one I shall stick with for the present. Okay. Well, apparently, uh, Wikipedia, which is a source of all knowledge, which you can believe, tells me it began as a it began as a joke game to facilitate the playing of Twilight. And he's only going to make Matt love it all the more. (laughs) The thing is, with the skins that are in there, it makes perfect sense. It It really does. Kill me now. (laughs) I don't want to talk over this about an hour. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it was. This is quite a. This is the newest of the games we talked about, launched in 2012 uh, on Indiegogo. Well, it's been a near miss for a few awards. The Indie RPG Awards of 2012 with a runner up shortlisted for the 2012 Golden Geek Award and the 2013 Origins Best RPG Award. This game is based on the increasingly popular Apocalypse World engine, written by Vincent Baker um, in 2010. Apocalypse World was strange game... It certainly took me a long time to get my head around it. Yeah. That. Well, I mean, I, I started I start out by reading the book before I ever played it. and It's quite a difficult read. It, it is. Yeah, I mean, I, considering Dogs in the Vineyard is possibly the, the, the most straightforward um, game book I've ever read and the, the best explained one, uh, but also by Vincent Baker, I, I found Apocalypse World unexpectedly challenging uh, in terms of, of reading the text and, and getting my head around it. But once it clicked... Yeah, it was like he'd watched Mad Max back-to-back and then read Clockwork Orange a few times and then wrote a role-playing game. It, it, it does read very much as though he's speaking to you in a very stylized character characteristic. Yes. But not only that, but the organisation of the book I didn't find that user-friendly. Yeah, it, it, the choice of ordering in it, I found, yeah. was, was quite unexpected. It introduced concepts from you know, uh, chapters later on before they'd been properly explained and stuff mm. like that, and... Uh, that, that aside, it's a fantastic game. Really, the children that it spawned have been more popular than that original game, perhaps. 
Yeah, I mean, Apocalypse World, I think, you know, is still very popular. Um, it's difficult to gauge because a lot of what I, I, I find for, you know, what I gauge popularity by is what's getting played by the people I know, particularly at conventions. And Apocalypse World, I've seen people try to run it at conventions, but it doesn't lend itself terribly well to one-shots. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think it's as easy to latch into as quickly as Monster Hearts or Dungeon World... Yeah. Or some of the other spin-offs, which have taken a much more, generally much more acceptable kind of archetype roles, whereas Apocalypse World is based on a, a kind of a Mad Maxy type setting. But it's there was Mad Max and so on, but there's there's not that much as readily available well, kind of so, sort source of, I mean, material. It, it's weird. I mean, you talk about the archetypes and the archetypes. If I remember correctly, and it does make sense if you go back through them uh, for Apocalypse World, don't come from any source that you might expect, but most of them are based on characters in Firefly. Yeah, but I mean, it's not a Firefly game, so you come to it, you're not thinking of Firefly. Perhaps we should say a little bit about how Apocalypse World works, if if you're not (laughs) familiar with it. The game is very much delivered through the character sheets, which are called Skins, each different, well, we could call them character classes, well, really. Well, they're, they're, they're called playbooks in Apocalypse World. It's skins and monster hearts. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the, the playbook is uh, an A4 sheet which is folded up and has got what the player needs to play. It's got the character generation, the character, a bit of uh, rules on there. It's kind of got all you need to sit down and play yeah. it on that A4 sheet. Yeah, Apocalypse World, like Monster Hearts, you've got these these templates which are basically character classes. Mm. But you're on these sheets, and you customise them by you've got a lot of options to choose, and you choose which ones interest you the most. And Often you've got, you've got a list of four, haven't you? And yeah. you tick the one that you choose. Um, so even for names, you've got maybe four or five names, and you choose one of those, and then you've got um, several different looks, and you choose one of those. So you've kind of a modular. Um, character but each time you create one I would think it would come out quite different because they're quite open to interpretation so in Monster Hearts we have uh, werewolves, vampires ghosts, ghouls and uh, and, and so on each one is a teenager which is also a um, supernatural entity of some kind Yeah. well that said there are a couple which aren't necessarily supernatural but um, like the mortal yeah sure and it sounds like playing the mortal would really suck because all these other people have got superpowers. The first game I played, somebody else was playing the mortal. They were kind of like the boss of us. They oh, were yeah. pulling us around everywhere. It was um, quite remarkable. Well, the, the mortal is the most horrifying sheet out of the lot because everything about that that skin creeps me out. Because basically you're playing the the archetypal battered girlfriend uh, who accepts everything they're, they're, you know, that's coming out of their dysfunctional relationship, and you know it, it's it's all right. You know, only I understand him. I can forgive him this and so on. And every time you do that, you gain power over the other person, and so it's just a spiraling ball of dysfunction, and it is horrific in play. Many of the spin-offs that have used the Apocalypse World engine have done their best to strip it down. Mm-hmm. And Monster Hearts does a, a very good job of stripping it down to its bare essentials. And it makes me wonder if Vincent Baker was to come and create Apocalypse World again, if he wouldn't also make it a more stripped-down version. Possibly. But, yeah, I mean, there are certain things Monster Hearts does, I think, just plain better. Um, 
Well, the, the, the obvious one for me, uh, which you know, thematically links into this, um, into the setting, but I think just works much better than it does in Apocalypse World, is strings as opposed to, what is it, HX? Yeah, the history connection. So when you create your characters, one of the things you say is your relationship with the other player characters. Mm-hmm. So you can create, in Apocalypse World, you create history with them, so you can say it's plus one, negative one, plus two, whatever. And I think it's when you're interacting with them, you get to use that as a bonus or a penalty in your in your roles with them or to help them or whatever. Whereas in Monster Hearts, we have things called strings. Strings are like holds over other characters. So uh, if they're in love with you or if they're greatly afraid of you or um, you've got influence over them, you can hold a string over them, which you can then spend to gain a mechanical advantage in conflicts with them. You can also have strings on NPCs, which are even more powerful. Because the, the player characters are very much the focus of the game in Apocalypse World and uh, Monster Hearts and so on. They're very much the focus of the game. And in Dungeon World, which I'm not sure if we mentioned, basically Dungeons & Dragons done for Apocalypse World, you know, you are the fighter. You are the wizard in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, you are that kind of uh, archetype, really. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, beyond that as well, I mean, certainly, you know, in both Monster Hearts and Apocalypse World, there is this advice to treat your uh, NPCs as completely disposable. Um, And in conjunction with that, be a fan of the player characters. Yes. For the GM to be a fan of the the player characters yeah yeah the the advice is it's written in apocalypse world is look at all your npcs through crosshairs so you know always look for that opportunity whereby they might go out spectacularly you did um, not need to be told that already scott did you <laughs> <laughs> you you I, I you i think when you role play just have your crosshairs drawn over your glasses don't you? <laughs> i may incriminate myself if i give a response <laughs> And the equivalent advice in Monster Hearts is uh, what is it? Treat your uh, treat your NPCs like stolen cars or something. So, what is Monster Hearts about? It's a game of coming of age teenage horror. Yeah, but it's inspired by uh, teenage paranormal television shows, especially, and you know, to some extent, young adult novels. You know, some films. Um, you know, the, the big obvious influences are you know things like Buffy, Twilight. Uh, Teen Wolf, um, The Vampire Diaries, but Misfits is listed as a big uh, influence as well, which, hmm. which I can certainly see. Taking Buffy as an example, it's a very much mirrors that. I mean, the ch- one of the cat player characters is um, kind of modelled on Buffy. I think the yes. Chosen, yeah, and we have the Mortal uh, and so on. And, and the Witch seems to be very much uh, Willow, Willow yeah. and the Queen is very much Cordelia. The kind of default storyline of the game is that you're in high school, uh, an American high school, and the prom is coming up. The graduation well, is kind of uh, they, approaching. They, is they, it not? There isn't even, no, it's just you're, you're in high school, that's it, full stop, that's the, the setup. Yeah, but I've played that scenario quite a few times. Yeah, that, that, that's because if you're running it as a one shot, it's a nice, easy thing to, yeah. You, you've got some big event coming up. Yeah. But, yeah, that's me thinking that teenage life was just horrific enough already. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, that mirrors um, all those coming-of-age films. I'm thinking of the early stages of Born on the Fourth of July, which isn't really a coming-of-age film, but it has that bit um, uh, back at the start. Things like The Breakfast Club. and uh, Even American Pie. I mean, all those kind of coming-of-age films, they kind of head towards the, the, the graduation and the prom. Oh, I see, right, yeah. I'll you. 
Which, for me, is a big draw. I mean, I really like those kind of films, whether it be... I mean, taking American Pie as an example, it's not, it's not a horror film, is it? It's, but it's, a, but it's, it's taking that, that kind of setting... I, I, and also, I, one thing that might be <laughs> might need to explain to you know, any American listeners is the fact that a lot of this stuff seems quite exotic to us. Yes, because it's outside our experiences. So you know, it, it almost adds a fantastical element. You know, our school days weren't anything like that, and uh, yeah, I'm sure real school days aren't anything like that. But the, those kind of shared experiences of you know the big football games, the prom, uh, you know the homecoming dance, etc. We we know these things in kind of mythical terms, but they weren't parts of our experiences. Yeah, I really had to try and uh, find out exactly what homecoming queen was. I had no idea what that meant. No. Don't they burn her at the Queen of the May ceremony or something? <laughs> or? Something like that, yes. Yeah, only in Summer Isle. Ah, fair enough. <laughs> That's what you base the game on, that kind of experience of school. I mean, if you wanted to set it in a British school, and we have done. Yeah. But it, it very much centres around that teenagers, older teenagers, kind of 16, 17, 18, 19, kind of finding their way in life, discovering who they are and so on. Yeah, I, I, and well, I guess part of it as well is the fact that you know this is set at a time in life when you're kind of discovering your emotions, you're discovering your sexuality. Everything's very volatile, um, and that's what makes it such an appealing draw for you know overlaying the supernatural stuff on, because it's already a turbulent time, and you can reflect those turbulent elements uh, through you know various supernatural elements as well. Someone is um, is coming to terms with the fact that. You know, they, they're sexually attractive to people and feel threatened by it. Well, you know, that's that's like a vampire story, isn't it? But, you know, some, someone's coming to terms with the fact that they've got testosterone running through their system and they, they're suddenly bigger than they used to be and perhaps a bit angrier and stuff. And that's like a werewolf story. Exactly. And if we look at Buffy, I mean, the first time she has sex with Angel and what happens to him and drawing that kind of parallel with the relationship and how couples might change after they've had sex... The man becoming a monster in some instances. Yes, Um, or or at the very least changing the the entire relationship, the basis for it changes. Yeah, and I was thinking about this when I was watching Buffy again recently, how, um, you know, she's fighting off vampires, you know, but is she? So the background is pretty straightforward, really. Well, that's the default background. I mean, they they do mention in there as well the options for playing with adult characters as well. You know, both for, say, for a university setting and then, you know, for for a a sort of young adult or mid-twenties adult and doing something along the lines of being human, Mm. uh, for which it it works quite well. Yeah. That would probably appeal to me more. I mean, I I thoroughly hated my teenage years and this world got no reason, uh, no want or desire to play the game. Plus, I'm not a fan of the apocalypse world mechanics anyway. So, yeah, having it set as a more adult-orientated story would probably be the one thing that might entice me to even remotely consider trying the game. But at the minute, no. Yeah, because I I have to say, I mean, I'm not trying to convert you at all, Matt, but when I first heard about it, I kind of felt a bit the same. That I heard about it and it was this game about teenagers and... um, Kind of sex was actually an aspect of the rules, oh, which yeah. we it, haven't touched upon it yet. It is in Apocalypse World, which is one reason why I don't it, like it. It is in Apocalypse World as well, yeah. And oh, I thought, yeah. oh, that sounds dreadful, I don't want to play that. And then I was at Continuum in 2012, your duty in honour man was... Uh, Neil Gow? Yeah. 
uh, was was running a session on the Sunday evening and probably be fun. I'll join in. And uh, yeah, I was blown away with it. Really enjoyed it. Neil's very good at getting people to play games that they wouldn't otherwise play and and selling them on it. Um, well, he certainly did a good job. Well, he's, like with me, I had absolutely no interest in the Napoleonic setting. I played Duty and Honour with him and you know went out and bought the book the next day. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of another game where you play those types of characters. I mean, um, you can write a scenario, a Hot War scenario or a Call of Cthulhu scenario or whatever, where you play teenagers you know high school or whatever there but is there is the buffy rpg and the angel well there RPG. is yes that's true yeah yeah and yeah there are you know various things that have cropped up over the years oh god teenagers from outer space and hmm. uh probably countless other things like that or even go a little bit further back little fears oh, yeah <laughs> yes. maybe not quite teenagers but no not teenagers i don't think it's no. more like nine ten eleven should we have a um a little bit of a look at the the rule system yeah Um, so in apocalypse world uh, you have each character has basic moves that they can use and there's about maybe five or six basic moves you better explain what a move is a move is something you do so rather than we had a discussion about skills the other week there are no skills on your character sheet in monster hearts you've got about six or seven basic moves so we've got manipulate an npc so this is anything from charm persuade fast talk to put it in call through the lingo <laughs> making a bargain with a you know an npc you know yeah, so, staring so, so, them down yeah. whatever basically offering them an inducement to do something whether that's a characteristic You've got shutting someone down. We, won't, we don't need to go into what all of these... They are what they say, basically. No, but, I mean, what's, what's interesting about these... I mean, th- these are the basic moves, so these are things that any character can do, or yeah. at least any player character can yeah. do. Um, but what, what's interesting about them is, like the ones in Apocalypse World, they're, they're kind of thematically tuned to the kinds of things characters do in that kind of story yeah fair so enough. so um yeah that whole thing about manipulation then yeah the, in these kind of stories there's a lot of emotional manipulation shutting people down someone's getting out of order you know someone's getting too mouthy or whatever then you want to shut them down sometimes you want to seduce them you've, you've got to we've got to turn someone on uh, that's an interesting one because you can use it on someone else so you can use it to turn someone on to make them attracted to you, but they don't they don't have to do it of their own volition. They may not want to be attracted to you, but as in real life, we can be attracted to people that we kind of don't really want to be attracted to. You know, within that, it kind of crosses the boundary of, you know, any kind of limits to sexuality. Well, and, and also it's as much about having hold over someone as it is about arousing them. Yeah. You know, by, by turning them on, you're, uh, it, it may lead nowhere, but it, it then gives you a string that you've got that you can use against that person later on because they've realised that they're attracted to you. Yes, basically it's a way of getting a hold over someone. Yeah. Uh, we've also got Lash Out Physically, which is a kind of combat mechanism any form of, of combat would probably fall under lash out physically but yeah. it's a good description well i, I think that. that i think that's actually quite an important thing to focus on the fact that though violence is actually quite a big part of this game there is only that that one basic mm. move there isn't a detailed combat system for each of these moves they're based on a stat your character is defined by four stats um and that that's based on volatile so four stats: hot, hot, cold, volatile, and dark. dark. 
Yeah, uh, which reflect different things about the characters. So hot is how kind of sexy or attractive or charismatic you are. Cold is how um, kind of hardened or... Um, uh, yeah, Calculating. Yeah, how strong-willed you are. Yeah. Um, uh, volatile is how good you are in physical situations, whether that's punching at someone or running the hell away. Uh, and Runaway being another move. Yeah. And dark is for weird shit. Gazing into the abyss, which is the final basic move that everyone can attempt. I think we should say how these moves work. They work in a very simple uh, mechanic of rolling 2d6 and adding one of those stats that we just mentioned. So you might add one. Ah. This is uh, a surprise. (laughs) Emily, come in. Emily's bought us biscuits. Oh, thank you. You're on the podcast, Emily. Thank you very much. Hello, podcast world. They're a bit poorly apart. Aren't they just? Oh, that's exactly how I like them. (laughs) They're bloody. They they thought you'd have a table. (laughs) No. Oh, thank you. That looks good. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. Thank you very much. We'll carry on. Your poorly apart biscuits, Scott. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> got nearly enough crumbs in the keyboard. <laughs> shut the door! There's a brick in the way. You'll move the brick to the side and then shut the door. Okay. Thank you. I hope you're not going to clean this out. We have, we have uh, hot, uh, well, oven warm chocolate chip cookies from my daughter, which is mm-hmm. uh, truly marvellous. Right, so, yes. well, I'll talk for a bit while you eat your biscuits, Scott. Okay. Um, it's a sort of calculated plan to shut me up, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, so the simple mechanic being that you roll 2d6 and add the specific stat. So those stats range from minus 1 to plus 3. If your result is 10 or over, then you fully achieve what you aimed to do. If you roll 6 or less, then you failed and the GM or MC can act against you in the way that he or she chooses or there are guidelines on that that we'll come to the interest the most interesting bit i think is when you roll seven to nine yeah and there's a compromise you may have achieved parts of what you want but you don't achieve it all and that always um, serves to create some interesting fiction i mean this this is where most of the story comes from in an apocalypse world-powered game those those rules that almost make it but don't quite and the complications that come up yes 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 you sort of get to what you want but this shit happens and and that you know that for me is what makes the game whereas in my case I'm lucky if I roll above five (laughs) yeah but this isn't Apocalypse World Matt this is you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so for example um, seven if you roll a seven to nine in running away you get away, but choose one of these. Often there are options given for a short list of options that you have to choose from. Uh, you cause a big scene. You run directly into something worse. The scariest person there gets a string on you. Um, so as you run away, yes, you do get a run away, but you know something bad happens. And the GM may have no idea what you run into, but at that point, the GM has to come up with something, or maybe the other players suggest something, which is even scarier and, and puts you in even worse trouble. Yeah. Which is why I love what this, this game so much, because it, it just directs you towards creating more fiction. Yeah. 
but it doesn't just say okay you've got a blank slate make up whatever you want because that's quite challenging I find yeah but when you've got these suggestions from the character sheets and the rules it's a very good technique of generating story yeah creativity is born born of limitations like that certainly when I'm emceeing Monster Hearts or or Apocalypse World or Dungeon World or anything like that those are the roles that I live for those those are the things that put me on the spot and force me to think of something interesting that happens and yeah that's what I love each character on their um, sheet also has specific moves so the Chosen which is uh, the kind of Buffy analogue gets to choose a couple of different moves when you create her and then um, later on, as she gets experience, gets to choose additional moves. So she's got moves, which I just, if I just read out one or two of the, the, the names of the moves, uh, she's got Mercy, Growing Pains, Come Prepared, To the Books, Take the Blow, Light the Way. And each of these kind of are quite evocative and um, you know have unique aspects that they bring to the game that you'd roll to, to bring in on that, that same uh, mechanic. So it's always that. Rolling under six, rolling over ten, rolling seven to nine is is universal throughout the game. There's a couple of um, unique things that um, come into play. One is if you take significant harm enough to uh, wipe you out of the game to kill you, you've got two options, which work very well because you are a supernatural being. Um, You don't want to just get killed off. One is that you can lose all your strings, all the influence you hold on everybody else. The other... And this can be brought on by some other moves as well, as a, as a um, consequence, yep. is to embrace your darkest self. It's, a, it's something the GM can even impose on you sometimes. Is it? Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean that, that's one of the hard MC moves. So hard moves in this are basically real bastard things that the MC can do to a player. So it's one of those occasions when you roll you know, six or below, the M- the MC can um, uh, look down the list of hard moves, and one of them is you know, um, uh, force a character to become his or her darker self. Right. Um, so, oh, yes, trigger their darkest self. I'm yeah. just looking at that list right now. Um, I think this is another reason why um, I like the game, is because it seems like Vincent Baker, rather than sitting down and designing a game how he wants it to be, he's kind of looked at how a game works... Mm and then written the game from that side, Yes, if, look, if you see what I mean. But look, looked at what GMs and players actually do at the table. And so what all of to do. Exactly. So the hard moves are things that, as a, as a Dungeons & Dragons GM, as a White Wolf GM, as a Call Cthulhu Keeper, they're things you probably do anyway. So separate them. So you separate the players up. You know, you're, uh, you fall over the precipice um, down into the, the pit. Yeah. Um, uh, put them together. Announce off-screen badness. <laughs> yeah, you you run screaming out of the locker rooms, and you notice the black smoke pouring down the corridor. <laughs> um, tell them the cons- possible consequences and ask: Do they want to do it or whatever? Yeah. Trigger their darkest self. That's one of them. Expose a dangerous secret to the wrong person. They're, they're all various things that, as a, as a GM, they're things that we do in play, but he's kind of formulated it such that if the players screw up, it's kind of like a, a list of prompts, or sort of say, do one of those evil things now. Yeah. If Scott needed any prompting <laughs> for that. Well, so that's, that's what I mean. That's, that's just the kind of thing that it's, it's wanting you to, to do. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. It's, it's also encouraging me to become my darkest self. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
one important thing about these moves as well is the idea that you never actually announce what move you're using because oh, yeah. that makes it seem very cold and mechanical. So, yeah. you know, it, say someone screws up a dice roll and you say, all right, well, I'll obviously use the separating move or something like that. And uh, so instead, you can, you know, someone screws up a roll and you sort of say, well, you know, so, some, someone, you know, in the midst of all the chaos, there's a smack over the back of your head, you see stars, uh, when your vision clears, you know, uh, uh, Janet is gone, and you're alone in the locker room. Mm. You've got no um, idea. You've got no idea what's happened to her. The emphasis is very much on the players play their character. Yes, which is one of the things I very much like. So I've played quite a few indie games where, as a player, you're being a player and playing your character, but it's kind of two separate things, and you're talking about what scenes are coming up. I'm not so keen on that that style of play, but Vince Baker, it seems like in most of his games, he's very much into the player plays their character. Um, a, a more kind of immersive style of play. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. You use the word. <laughs> I use the I word. Oh, God, we'll get letters. Um, so, <laughs> if, if you ever follow uh, the UK Role Players Forum, uh, yeah... <laughs> Um, you said the F word for me, so that put me on the uh, forum. You, no. no, UK Role Players Forum is, is one of my favourite forums on the internet, full of lovely people. But for God's sake, do not go there and mention the word immersion. I'm tempted. <laughs> you, you, you've been warned. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the immersion actually runs quite deeper in, in the Apocalypse World games, um, mm. in that... You know, this is something that you seem to take on board for Call of Cthulhu 7th Ed as well. This idea that, you know, as a player, you don't look at it from the point of view of um, mechanically deciding what your character is going to do. You just say what your character is going to do, and then the GM picks up and says, oh, then you're using this move. Yeah. I mean, in Call of Cthulhu, sometimes we're having to sort of stop and say, oh, which skill would that be? Oh, well, I've got this skill, but actually I think I'd rather use this one because that's more effective. You don't really get that in, in Apocalypse World and Monster Hearts. I mean, obviously you do have to discuss mechanics a little bit, but it seems very fluid. It seems whatever I want to do almost always seems very intuitive and very quick to say, oh, it's I'm shutting them down, I'm yeah. lashing out physically. Well, because they're so descriptive and there's not that many of them. But but also, you know, it's the MC's role to direct those mechanics as well. As a player, ideally, you shouldn't even be thinking about what moves you're doing. You mm, just no, describe absolutely. what the character's doing. And then at some point, the MC pipes up and says, oh, OK, well, obviously you're trying to shut it down. You know, roll for that. Need a roll. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes there can be things that your character, you know, isn't necessarily aware that he or she was doing. Uh, the classic being turn someone on. Uh, this yeah. has happened in a few games where, um, you know, there's been a situation where someone, you know, a, a character hasn't necessarily been trying to do anything seductive or provocative or erotic or anything like that. But, it, you know, it just could be viewed that way. And, and it's just sort of, yeah, well, roll to turn them on. Well, I wasn't trying to. Well, <laughs> it's a situation where he might get turned on. Roll to see whether it happens. Mm. We haven't talked about sex, Scott. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. Lost, lost the red hot romantics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you can stick your fingers in your ears. La, 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 la. If you all have a girlfriend on another continent. <laughs> I was more thinking it was the one thing that made me really dislike Apocalypse World, but fair enough. Right. Right. I, I, I think that. Let's ask Matt, why didn't you like sex in Apocalypse World? I just think it's a vile mechanic, but it's 
the idea being... Do, if you, do, have, do you mean sex in general? No, I, I have no problem with that at all. Um, but how it uses it as, oh, by the way, if you have sex with another player, you could get this cool shit to happen to them. No, that is vile, that is disgusting, and that is not what I want to see in a game. Sorry, that's just it's, me. It's, a, it's all right getting you know, uh, mechanical results by hurting people, but not by having sex with them. Oh, I could. Well, that's mainly because I've heard so many instances of... <laughs> I'm quite happily think of kicking people into the ground or pushing people downstairs, but... No, I just really... <laughs> I have enough pent-up rage to last me like... Do you want to outline exactly who you <laughs> 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 you know what I said before we started how Matt has a habit of trying to make things better and only makes them worse yeah. <laughs> so anyway Matt you were telling us how much you hate sex yeah. specifically that it encourages you to do to do that with another PC for a mechanical gain right that's what I don't like I, I just something instinctively in me finds that abhorrent I, I, I think you're again. You're kind of looking at that the opposite way around that it's meant. Uh, it, it, it might be meant another way, but that's how I've taken it. In, in the games, the way it's meant is the fact that because of the kind of games they are, it's assumed that characters will have sex with one another, and it's not just with other player characters. You get these effects on on NPCs as well. I thought in Apocalypse World it was just PCs that you had the effects with. No, no, I'm pretty sure it's NPCs as well that you had them on. Uh, NPCs don't have sex moves that they can use on you, but the idea is that if, if two PCs you know, have, have sex with each other, then they mm-hmm. use their sex moves on each other. But if you have sex with an NPC, you use their sex, your sex move on them. So you can, you know, in, if, if it's monster hearts, you get a string on them, or um, uh, you get to put conditions on them and stuff like that. We have to explain conditions, but we'll come mm-hmm. to that in a moment. Yeah, there are interactions and advantages that you get. I think. The things about um, describing it as sex rather than getting into a relationship, you know, getting close to someone or becoming friends with someone, you you know, that you can get this influence. Those are all very grey areas. Whereas when you say it's having sex, it's kind of a a, a more digital thing um, that is is a concrete thing. It takes the ambiguity out. Yeah, yeah. And also in whether it's Breaking Bad that I've just watched or um, or Buffy or, or any any film or, or drama even you know some you know if we're talking game of thrones then it's pretty full-on or if we're talking about prime time tv then it's uh, it's fade to black and the bedroom door closes well probably not nowadays but that, that whole sex thing in a in a story is always really important yeah you know go back to the slasher horrors they're the first ones that died but but yeah, even yeah, that aside it just all defines you know the relationships changes relationships changes dynamics well, that's why it's important yeah, in those stories. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, this is why they, the sex moves, you know, there in both Monster Hearts and Apocalypse World, because you know, it's it's not from the point of view of yeah, you know, here go off and fuck other player characters, and we'll you know give you this nice carrot. Sorry, that's probably badly phrased. No, I think but, that's pretty much exactly how it describes my opinion. <laughs> but 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 no, it's 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 more along the lines of you'll probably end up fucking another character at some stage anyway. Here's the result. You don't tend to, to, to dwell on it any more than you're doing TV shows, so it's not something you're kind of playing out like a combat. It depends how you do it. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, if people haven't played it, it might sound yeah. like that you're actually, you know, yeah, I don't know, the sex scenes role play out no. the sex scenes. Or no, no, but, um, it, 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 I mean, again, this will vary from group to group, but yes. You're, you're, you're not... 
you know, you know, you're not really expected to turn around to you know that, that big you know hairy bearded guy on your left and uh, and whisper sweet nothings in my ear or something like that. I mean, it, it, it can be you know cut away, but yeah. you know, here's the result. But but on the other hand, you know, if some groups are more comfortable, you know, having more sexual elements in there, then you know it's up to the group. Yeah. But there, <laughs> yes, there is no expectations that you will play out long graphic sex scenes. No, no. But I think if that mechanic wasn't there, it wouldn't feature in the game. But for some reason, it always features in the kind of TV shows and movies yeah. that it's trying to emulate. Well, it, it could be something as simple as the fact that having that on the character sheet reminds people that it's, that it's part of the game. Mm. I think this kind of it opens up a, a much larger discussion, which is not appropriate for this show, which is why we're so comfortable having sometimes really graphic, horrible, nasty, violent things happen in games, but any mention of sex seems to make a lot of people very uncomfortable, even if it's not graphic. I'm not talking about playing out sex scenes in the, in the games, I'm just talking about acknowledging the fact that characters have sex. Yeah, well, it did have that effect on me, that um, after I'd played either Apocalypse World or Monster Hearts... And then I sat down one evening to play, in fact, another Apocalypse World hack um, of uh, Tremulous oh, yeah. at IndieCon. And um, it's kind of a, a Call of Cthulhu version of an Apocalypse World game using the Apocalypse World rules, but a version of, but without the sex moves. And um, I very quickly found this, this lord that I was playing, trying to um, chat up one of the other player characters and kind of, you know, take her upstairs um, and I was kind of looking on the character sheet for is there a move, is there any kind of sex move on the character sheet? Um, but but no, there wasn't. It didn't feature in that. So I did promise Steve Ellis there'd be sex moves in seventh head, but you know. <laughs> no. sorry, Steve, didn't 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 turn out that way. Uh, we, we'll put a download up on the site when we write the rules. I'll put a special sheet in the back of his uh, his copy. <laughs> So have we finished talking about the mechanics, Scott? Is there anything else? Well, the one, the one thing we haven't touched upon... Well, sorry, we have touched upon, we just haven't explained, is conditions. So conditions are these... Well, conditions that you can place upon uh, characters. And it can be something like blamed, ashamed... Uh, Terrified. Yeah. Any uh, kind of descriptor, really. Covered in pig's blood. Uh, yeah, that, that's one of the ones in the book. Oh, right. <laughs> mm. uh, Back to Carrie again. Yeah. yeah. The idea is that these are then things that you can play on in conflict. So, you know, if someone has got terrified and you're having a follow-up conflict where you're trying to scare them, you can actually get a bonus uh, plus one for uh, for bringing their condition of terrified in. And that condition is with the character for as long as, you know, until they can role-play some event that will get rid of it. So, like, going to the showers and washing off all the pig's blood. They're very embedded in the fiction in that way, that you can do things... You don't have to mechanically roll dice or do something to actually get rid of them necessarily. It can just be something in the story that lets you get rid of these conditions. Exactly. And, and they can sometimes come about almost as organically, because they can come about just as a result of hard moves from the MC. They can come about as a result of conflicts with other characters. Mm. And uh, th- there are also, you know, some moves that some character uh, skins have got that allow you to play on particular conditions. So, you know, the, the ghost, which we haven't really touched upon, uh, you know, has, um, there's one of the ghost options where you're a kind of vengeful ghost, where you can uh, sort of blame other people for your death, uh, almost symbolically, and you can place this blamed condition on them. And once they've got the blamed condition on, you can do really fucking horrible things, <laughs> but only if that condition's in place. So the book itself is um, a fairly slim volume. 
Uh, it's an A5 or digest scale book, um, black and white throughout, with a fairly monochrome kind of cover. One of the strengths of the, the layout is the very clean layout with some nice fonts and a little border scroll on the side, and pretty sparse illustration actually. But looking at the book, I don't know, it kind of looks nice, I think. Yeah, the, the, the illustration's very much based on the style that was created for Apocalypse World as well. Yeah. Uh, which, if I remember correctly, is just photo manipulation. Uh, they, 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 they take photographs, you know, stock art of people um, who look appropriate and then just change the contrast to them until they're very stark black and white. Yeah, yeah. Very posterised. Yeah. And, uh, about 150 pages. And a lot of that is given over to the um, player character playbooks, the, yeah, the, the, the various skins. skins. Typically, you um, have on um, a PDF and just print out. Yeah, but there, there are what about seven or eight skins that come with um, uh, the book, and yeah. the, um, if you were a backer of the Indiegogo campaign, there were an additional three skins which are uh, pretty cool. But they're, they're now in common circulation anyway. So if you know anyone else who plays Monster Hearts, you know they're quite at liberty to share those. Um, that includes the Selkie, uh, and the Selkie is. Both one of my favourites and least favourite skin. It's one of my favourites because a game is never boring when you've got a Selkie in there uh, because their dysfunctional relationship with the sea and the things that they can make the sea do, you know, disaster is always just around the corner. Mm. And (laughs) the reason I hate them is because every time I've played a game, a disaster has been just around... (laughs) Disaster has come way round the corner and has come steamrolling over the game and it has become all about the Selkie. (laughs) Well, they are quite a, um, a powerful thing, and they also have the, the kind of um, story kicker that somebody's stolen their skin. That's right, and they're trying to get it back. This skin that they wear when they go into the sea, isn't it? Yeah, the seal skin. that they, yeah. Yeah, they, they, Their true form is that of a seal, uh, but they take that off and they, they appear to be human underneath, but they don't really know anything about human uh, life, uh, so they're, they're trying to assimilate. Uh, and, and find out you know, what all these strange human emotions mean. I mean, the thing about all these skins is they do play both into supernatural archetypes and you know, very human teenage archetypes, mm. and this is you know, very much the kind of misfit uh, you know, trying to integrate with a, you know, a social structure they don't understand, Yeah, which I, I might be able to sympathise with a bit. <laughs> so I've, I've played the game, I don't know, four or five times at conventions... I've not run it though, so you, you've run it. How would how would you say it is to run? Very easy. I've run a number of one shots at conventions, and one, one shots are really easy to do. What I tend to do is you know turn up with all the playbooks and get people to read the the descriptions of their playbooks out, so everyone's got a, an idea of what they are. Everyone chooses the one they want, and um, they they adapt the skin accordingly. Which I mean, it sounds time consuming, but you know for character generation, it's perfectly feasible to do it in a convention game. Oh it yeah, takes, it takes about fifteen minutes. Yeah. Because these characters are such strong archetypes, because they all tend to be focused around needs and wants of some kind, it becomes very easy to create drama. And and also because they have all that that shared character creation and the strings that come out of that. Well, you said it was feasible to do it. I'd say it's essential to do it. Do play character oh, yeah. creation. Sorry, I didn't mean feasible in that you, you should think about skipping it. I mean mm. feasible in that you've got time to do that mm. and still run a, a satisfying game. Mm. Oh yeah, I mean you, you would never ever run um, uh, run this without actually you know having some degree of customization. No, you'd never use pre gens. No, I mean to some extent they are customizable pre gens, but yeah. 
When I'm preparing these games for conventions, what I'll tend to do is just turn up with one idea in my mind. And, and quite often I haven't decided this until about five minutes before we hit the table. But it's just some situation that's drawing everyone together. Yeah. So, you know, one time it was, um, you know, it, all the player characters were on detention together and they were cleaning out a, um, you know, an old graveyard as part of their, their detention, you know, just doing some weeding there and stuff like that. Another time it was, you know, set in an English public school school and yeah it was all the player characters who were you know had got together and were skiving off together in the the cricket shed yeah i played that one oh yeah that's right and yeah yeah, the the kicker there was someone oding or some strange that's right the the player characters are given them yeah i think you've probably got to be quite careful as a gm not to do too much actually because the players once you get your your character described once you kind of establish your your links with the other player characters you're kind of ready to go straight out of the gate. You're ready to mm. get straight into the story and start doing things and, and pulling things around. And, oh, yeah. and if, if the GM has too much scenario or story to sort of throw at you, I think that would almost impede the game. No, as an MC, you know, certainly for a one-shot like that, really the only thing you need is um, an excuse for the characters to interact. Uh, no, no, I'm still not sold. <laughs> I, I much prefer a plot or a story or a puzzle to try and solve in a scenario, and that that just kind of horrifies me. But I'd be sat at the table going, nothing to do, oh, nothing no. to bounce off, <laughs> nothing, nothing <laughs> to try and every, interact every, with. Everyone else would be bouncing off you. You wouldn't. Yeah, you. I, yeah. I, I certainly have. That, that's a very valid comment. I've quite a few indie games that I've played. They sort of say, "Oh, there's zero prep, and you just sit at the table and come up with stuff." But I haven't encountered another one for me that that actually inspires me to come up with stuff like this does. Mm. Um, I don't feel I'm having to scratch my head and come up with stuff when I'm playing this. The the kind of collaborative nature of it and the fact that you've got a lot of information on your sheets in conjunction with the moves, which then give you choices to make, which kind of guide the action and, and the drama... It doesn't feel like you're just making stuff up on the fly. It feels like you're just responding to the, the drama and kind of building the story as you go without having with, effortlessly. Yeah, and, and and as the GM, you know, they, there's there's not necessarily a lot you have to do to make this happen, but there is stuff that's actually built into the the rules in the book. Um, the, the, these things called fronts. Um, mm. Is that what they're called in Monster Hearts? I've forgotten. I'm not too sure. I think uh, they are just fronts, aren't they? We'll, we'll no, use they, the they, call, they, uh, they call something else in Monster Hearts, but um, uh, menaces or something like that, or threats. But they're essentially uh, the kind of the enemy forces, whatever they yeah. may be. So, you know, you're basically coming up with NPCs or organisations or just, you know, sometimes concepts, ideas, entities, but something that is going to be in opposition to, you know, one or more player characters, something that's going to cause trouble. Um, And then you can break those down into individual player characters, uh, sorry, individual non-player characters. And then you know you've got these things that you just push at about the player characters. But I mean, one, one of the things to be very careful of as an MC in this, you know, the, the advice in the book, both in Apocalypse World and Monster Hearts, is play to see what happens or GM to see what happens. Mm. So you're not telling your story. You're not, you know, the, this front isn't a story. You're not, you know, 
telling the story of this cult coming to town and the you know the, the, the strange machinations they've got building towards some apocalyptic event and so on. That it, it's sure they've got some agendas, but they are primarily there to punch the buttons of the PCs and then see what they do, uh, and also to put the PCs in conflict with each other and other NPCs they may care about. And that, yeah. that's a big part of this. So yeah, I mean, there's the, there's the other MC advice in there as well, which is you know, um, you know, any NPC should always jump to the worst possible conclusion about a player character as well. Um, so you know, if there's any scope for misunderstanding, or you know, if someone shows the slightest bit of weakness, then um, you know, the, the the you know, the school bully's got to pick on them. If there's the slightest bit of confusion about someone's motivation, their mother's got to assume the worst, um, and so on. And so they're all sort of knife edge with all the N- all the other NPCs, mm, mm. Uh, and that again really ramps up the drama. So by the time you've got all these elements in, you're just never bored. You know, there's there's never any question about you know what to do if you know you're in the situation that Matt talks about I mean you know so you know he's sitting there um, and desperately wanting some plot to investigate uh, and there are no uh, it's not an investigative game but yeah um, and there you know there are no other PCs interacting with you Um, I can bring you know all sorts of horrible things to bear on you and you know force you into a situation to react make it even more enjoyable why don't you yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so Matt have we sold you no. on Monster Hearts? No, no. not the slightest. You haven't been saying much in this one because I know you're not a fan of it. No. Um, like I said, I've, I, mainly because I've tried not to be negative throughout with everything I say, but no, it's it's just a game that holds absolutely zero interest for me in mechanics, style of play, structure, uh, thing, everything about it just instantly goes in, nope, that's not what I like, nope, don't like that either, nope. No. I, th- I think that's a fair point, that's reasonable, and you're wrong. <laughs> you got to know what you like. We'll put some links on the blog to uh, link to the source material for Monster Hearts. You know, they, uh, they, uh, even if you don't buy the game outright, you can you can download some of the uh, skins and actually see what they look like and get some idea about the game that way. Oh, uh, what what blog is that, Scott? I, that that would be blasphemoustomes.com. <laughs> and where else can you find us? Mainly as the good friends of Jackson Elias on Facebook, on G+, and everywhere apart from Twitter, because Twitter has to be the odd one out, um, where we are the good friends of J.E. Okay, well, I think that wraps it up for another week. Does it? It does. It does. I don't, know, I don't want to go over that book again. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that bombshell, Matt's favourite game, we conclude. So it's uh, good night from me. Cheerio from me. And farewell from me.